0: I'm Natalina, and this is Win the Day with James Whitaker.
1: You're listening to Win the Day with James Whitaker. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Broadcasting from Los Angeles, California. This is the number one podcast to help you win the day every day. Here's your host, James Whitaker. Let's go. Welcome to Win The Day, and I'm so excited for today's guest. We're going to take a deep dive into a whole bunch of things that are going to close the gap between where you are now and the enormous amount of potential that you have within. If this is your first time joining us, hit that subscribe button. That way you'll get access to amazing episodes as soon as they are released so you can win the day every day. The quote for this episode comes from Ralph Waldo Emerson and says, the only person you are destined to become is the person you decide to be. The only person you are destined to become is the person you decide to be. And I thought that was very fitting for the guest we have today. Our guest is Lena, who has an incredible resume. She's the founder and CEO of Rise Up For You, a two-time TED speaker, a number one best-selling author, and a leadership and career confidence coach. Netta's time as both a college professor and a former top executive for an education corporation gave her an intimate understanding of how education, empowerment and leadership fuse together for massive transformation. She has toured the world as a singer, has a master's degree in administrative leadership and has coached and mentored 50,000 individuals around the world on self-empowerment, career strategy and soft skills. Net has been featured in media all over the world, has spoken on some of the most renowned stages, and her company, Rise Up For You, has been featured in and worked with brands such as CBS, LA Fitness, and Google. Netta believes that in order to create change within our communities, companies and households, we must first create change within ourselves because the world needs all of us at our best and I couldn't agree more. In this interview, we're going to talk about how to create bulletproof confidence, the most important skills you need to succeed in today's world, what organizations can do to create a positive culture that benefits both people and profits, and how to unlock your full potential. And if we have time, we might even be able to ask Netta about how she found herself in the Russian circus. Before we get started, remember that the right bit of inspiration can completely change the trajectory of someone's life. So if there's a friend or loved one who needs to hear this episode, share it with them right now. All right, let's win the day with Natalina. It is so great to see you. Thanks so much for coming on the show.
0: Thank you for having me. That was probably the best bio I've heard from someone. Thank you. It's always awkward when
1: you hear your own bio. Yeah, I'm isn't like, it? wow, who yeah. is that? You're like, wow, what an amazing person. Maybe that's Thank a secret you. to confidence. Having someone read your bio out to you <laughs> <Maybe>. repeatedly. <laughs> Thank you. Well, to, why don't to get started? Why don't you take us right back to where it all began? Is there a particular memory from your childhood that's still so vivid for you today?
0: Wow, that's a that's a huge question. Honestly, my, my parents and my background has been so amazing. And I would say that all of it really contributes to who I am today. One thing that really stands out that I write in the book is my my mom always did affirmations with my brothers and I. So when we would drive to school, she would be in the front, today, you're going to be amazing. And my brothers and I would sit in the back, today, you're going to be amazing. And we would repeat all of these affirmations, which, you know, at the time, you don't know why are we doing this, mom? But as we got older, we recognized that. It was really countering the negativity, maybe from the outside world. So when a teacher or somebody said to us, like, you're not good enough, we already had that affirmation in our mind that we were amazing. We said, no, that's not true. And we would move that belief out of the way. So that was really, really important for us.
1: Isn't it amazing how much that you actually absorb, even when you're so young, even at the time, if you're not consciously focusing on it that much, yes. but as you get older, you just, you have these things that almost creates that um, in your cells that you just remember forever. And yeah. at the time when you're ready to walk into that life and use that information, you're equipped based mm. on those tools. And I know that your father came from a small village in Lebanon. With yes, a, and yeah. I know you had a, a great relationship, obviously, with both your parents. Yeah. Are there any lessons in particular from your father that are still um, so strong for you today and that you still apply today?
0: Yeah, there were, there was two that I really apply today. And the first one is that he always taught my brothers and I that no one's better than you when you're not better than anyone. It didn't matter if they were a teacher, a... it didn't matter who they were. And so he always taught us to love ourselves and put our best foot forward, but to always treat everybody kindly and you should always get kindness back. It doesn't matter who the person is. And that was really, really important. And then the second is that he always had us question. So whenever we asked questions, he never said, this is the answer. He really encouraged us to navigate, to explore, even when it came to, you know, questions about like God and religion, like, dad, what's heaven? You know, he always gave us this very philosophical answer that really made us curious and wonder, which I think is very important today, especially Mm. with all the consumption, right? It's very easy to latch onto something and just believe it. And he really encouraged us to go do research, find the answer, figure out what fits for you. And that, that was a game changer.
1: The power of independent thought,
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And
1: you know, the, the, teaching children the ability to solve problems, Mm -hmm. whatever they might be, Mm -hmm. seems to be so much more practical than the simple comprehension of of facts.
0: Yeah. And it created, you know, conversation, conscious Mm. conversation. So, and that's something that we had a lot growing up. We asked a question and then we ended up having a conversation about it. It was never a, this is the answer, black and white, now do. There was always something going back and forth, which was, I think, very important.
1: Yeah. I really love that. Yeah. Uh, What did success look like to you when you were young and what career path did you naturally gravitate towards?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. You know, success for me, even when I was younger, I really resonated just towards kindness. I didn't know what that looked like, you know, in, in a career when I was younger. But when I got into high school, I really took on to music and I started singing in choir. And so instantly I was like, okay, I want to I be a singer. That was my first career that I wanted to take. Now I wanted to be Britney Spears at the time, <laughs> But that didn't happen. But so I went to college. I got my bachelor's in music because I wanted to follow that path. And then that catapulted me into my first career, which was as a performer internationally.
1: Incredible. So yeah. at 19 years old, there you were ready to to tackle the world stage as a performer. Yeah. What did that career on stage teach you about the power of the mind?
0: Everything, everything about emotional intelligence that I talk about today and people skills, it came from performing because, A, there's a discipline to it, a really strong discipline. So what I realized and and hopefully the audience and everyone that's listening resonates is at some point, everyone's technique is the same. Right. You know, you walk into a room, there's a thousand singers. And I'm like, well, they're all really amazing singers. So who's going to get the role? Like, how do you determine who gets casted? And so the art of discipline was really, really honed in at a young age. I mean, there would be times where the other performers would be, you know, partying and doing all this stuff. And I would be in my practice room till 2, 3 a.m. practicing the songs, memorizing the songs, looking in the mirror and trying to critique myself as if I were the audience member. So I would watch myself sing and then say, "Ah, if I was in the audience, I don't know if I would like that or if I would be entertained by it. So discipline was a huge thing that it taught me, but also just that emotional intelligence, because there were so many times where I was performing in an audience that didn't speak English. So what I was saying out of my mouth or singing didn't necessarily connect because the, the, the language wasn't connected. So then how do I make an impact? How do I create any kind of inspiration or change simply by like my eyes or my body movement or the tone of my voice, how I sing or the emotional connection? That was really critical.
1: Yeah, the ones, in, in my experience, who have just the most charisma and this confidence, it's that background in performing. There's a woman we had on the on the show in an earlier yeah. episode, Emily Fletcher. Are you, are you familiar with familiar Emily?
0: with it, yet?
1: Yeah. yeah, she does uh, run Ziva Meditation. And, and like you, she just has this amazing presence. And I think just the discipline of doing those reps for many years yes. behind the scenes provides those skills that you can then take to, to so many other other areas.
0: Yeah, and you have to be on. All the time, you know, it's, that's the thing that you have to remember is if I do a show a hundred days in a row, it's the same show, Mm -hmm. but I have to remember that my audience is different every single night. So I can never be on autopilot, right? Because I have a new audience, a new energy, something new that's always going to happen, whether or not I'm singing the same song. And so that was really important to understand like how to show up. I always say that you're a walking billboard. And so I learned that as a performing performer, I was a walking billboard, especially in Japan, and Russia, I mean, I would walk in and there would be a huge poster of my face on the circus building, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about later. And I'm like, wow, like everyone in the city has seen my face for the past month, you know, so you just have to be really conscious of that.
1: Let's talk about it now. Let's get the <laughs> Russian circus out of the way. What was the craziest thing that just or first of all, how did you find yourself in Russia performing and what was the craziest thing that that happened?
0: Yeah, so we were invited there. The performing arts organization was invited there to go there and to perform and it started with a really small group. There was only about 6 of us. Typically we we tour with a group of 40 but only six of us were invited to go and perform. And we basically did a two hour show with six people. That was the hardest show (laughs) I've ever done. Yeah. I was singing and dancing and like changing and, you know, it it was intense. But we, when we got there, we did, they booked the show in a circus. That was a full-time circus. So we were the act for the circus. we went in there and we performed, but it was so wild because as we're standing there getting ready, there's like tigers in cages right behind us and we're just looking around and we're like, what's What's happening? All the animals were still there in the cages and we have our microphone getting ready to go out and perform. So it was super interesting.
1: Yeah. What a great memory. Yeah. I love it. That's so good. Well, you started your TED Talk singing a song. I thought I that did. was really unique and, and very cool. That TED Talk is called Commit to Workplace Transformation, People Versus Profits. We're going to link to that and a lot more in the show notes. So definitely check that out. Even with your extensive career as a performer, was it a different feeling walking out on stage, singing a song? How nervous were you for that?
0: I have never been more nervous, honestly. Doing a TED Talk is like a marathon for runners. I mean, you really have to prepare and prepare and prepare because you have to stay on topic, right? It's being recorded. You get one opportunity to make sure that you're getting that message across, Uh, So it it was pretty intense, but I had to really channel my dad and remind myself when I was a performer, when I was younger, he taught me that whenever you are nervous, people may or may not disagree with this, that it's actually a selfish quality. And I remember asking him, why is that? And he said, well, the second you go out on stage, it's no longer about you. It's about the audience. Otherwise, you can speak and sing by yourself at home. But now when you're making that conscious decision to say, I want to step out on stage and deliver my message and impact people, now it's about people. And so I remember doing that TED Talk. I was really, really nervous right before I went on because they chose me to be first out of the 14 speakers. They're like, you're going to be number one. I'm like, okay.
1: (laughs) At least you get it out of the way. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: So I remember my legs started shaking. And so I started doing, you know, squats. And then I just remembered that. I was like, you know what? This isn't about it going out online. This isn't about anything other than the 150 people that are in the room right now. I want them to really understand this message because it's so needed. And instantly the nerves Mm -hmm. just kind of calmed me. And a little trick for people is that's also why I started singing. So I remember that when I started speaking years ago after performing, I would get nervous for speaking. I'm like, why am I getting nervous to speak? But I never get nervous to sing. Never. So I thought, you know what? when I speak, I'm going to start by singing. A, because it'll be engaging. People are going to wonder what the heck is happening, but it's an instant reliever for me and it instantly calms my nerves. So it's like another strategy for me to really get in the flow of speaking.
1: How interesting. Mm -hmm. I never would have thought about Mm -hmm. that. And most people sing in the shower or in the car. Everyone is comfortable singing. So that's a a really great tip. Are there any other tips that you have to perform in your optimal state? Obviously you do a lot of work on stage, uh, Mm -hmm. speaking, appearing on podcasts and when you're approaching a situation where the stakes are very, very high, they could be very influential or significant moment for you or for your career. Mm-hmm. What is your routine to get in your optimal state for that beforehand?
0: Yeah, I, first, I always remind myself that it's about value. Mm-hmm. I, I never want that value to go away, that it's about serving and adding value. So I really try to take away any unnecessary pressure and remind, like, it doesn't matter what the outcome of it is. What matters is that in the mo- mo- moment I'm going to provide as much education, as much service as possible to give back. And like, that's the thing that's always on the top of my mind. The second thing is, is I do a power mantra. So, you know, and it's something that I teach my clients, like I'll look in the mirror before I walk in, but I was in the car, but you know, before I came in here, I looked in the mirror, I was like, all right, you got this, be your best, put your best foot forward, add value. That's it. And I do that all the time. I, I talk to myself all the time and the mirror Whatever I need to do, I, I, I'm i not afraid of that.
1: Yeah, it's really, yeah. really powerful. I do something similar where you take a deep breath and you think about what does success look like? Like what energy do you want to bring in and what is the optimal result that mm-hmm. you want out of that situation? And it just, I, I love what you had mentioned Repeatedly now, which is so, so valuable. Uh, Obviously, success leaves clues, and there are themes for people to pick up about taking that pressure off you and instead transmuting that into the value and service that you are going to have for the audience. It's just so powerful, isn't it, to uh, get in the right headspace and enable you to perform and to contribute?
0: Yeah, well, at the end of the day, that's what it's about. And I think that when people can really shift that mindset, uh, to be an educator, right? That's how I think about it. I'm coming in, I'm providing education and, and hopefully it adds value. That really makes a shift on how you deliver, I think. And mm-hmm. and again, it takes the, the lens off of you onto what do you need right now? And whatever you need is what I'm going to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. And so much of your confidence seems to come from your upbringing yeah. and your work as a performer. If you were working one-on-one with someone who had literally zero confidence, what steps would you take them through to get them heading towards creating bulletproof confidence? That's a
0: great question. The first thing I would do is something called reverse engineering. See, most of us, our thoughts about ourselves and our confidence, it's an accumulation of our life. And and we know that, you know, it's our experience as a child. It's the first job that we had. It's the first relationship that we were in. It's the teachers. It's the people that surround us. And what we forget sometimes is that over time, all of those experiences and people, they've had thoughts about us. And a lot of times we believe those thoughts and then we carry them as we get older. And so in order to rebuild confidence, I like to say, because we're all born with it, we kind of have to peel back all these different layers to understand where did these thoughts come from that hinder our confidence? What are the different experiences that we've had that have impacted us today? And then we need to break those down. So the first thing we need to do is reverse engineering. It's not easy but it's really important for us to understand that this journey is evolving and it's not meant to be easy. It's meant for you to really have that self-awareness and understand why do I have this thought? Where did it come from? Is it still serving me or is it hindering me now? And now I get to make that conscious decision of, I don't want this person, place, or thing to keep affecting me and then break that down.
1: Mm. Uh, people from the outside looking in might think you have this amazing confidence. You never have any bad days. You and I know that every single person (laughs) on the planet has bad days. How do you handle them when you wake up and you just say, look, I feel like I just don't have it today or there's something in in life that's knocked you off course. How do you go about handling those bad days?
0: I think you got to have expectations for yourself that are okay. So I acknowledge it and I allow it too, but I have a standard. I say, okay, if I'm going to, you know, if I wake up one morning and I don't feel great, fine. I'm going to take the day off, but I'm not going to allow myself to take three weeks off or a month off or a year off of where I'm just constantly waking up that way. Right. So I really acknowledge how I feel. I figure out where is it coming from? And then I try to make the shift if I could pinpoint why I feel the way I feel. But I wake up, you know, once a month and I'm like, oh, wow, I just feel really tired. I feel really you know, beat up today. I'm like, great. I'm just going to, I'm not going to do anything today. I'm just going to relax. I'm going to maybe watch a little bit of Netflix or go get my ice cream, you know, whatever (laughs) I want to do. And I think that's so important for people to allow that to happen. I know people that go for years without doing that for themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's just not realistic. Like we're all human beings. We're not robots. So we need to have those self-care days and we need to be able to acknowledge them within ourselves. And that's totally fine.
1: There's a word that you mentioned there, standard. It's yeah. about setting that standard and living by that standard, isn't it? Even if you do have a bad day, as you said, one day does not turn into three weeks because for a lot of people, if you have that bad habit and you don't recognize that higher purpose for you, it's so much easier for that one day to turn into three weeks. Yep. But because you're extremely specific and clear on your mission and how many people you want to impact, 50,000 people already directly from, from yeah. the coaching and mentoring that you've done. Is that right?
0: Yeah, more than that now. Um, that was about three years ago, but we've done so much great work in the past couple of years with the company. But even with my thoughts, I do the same thing. So we all have negative thoughts. It would be ridiculous to say that people don't have self-doubt. Everybody does, you know, Tony Robbins, Oprah, it doesn't matter who it is, but it's being able to, again, set that standard of, I'm not going to let that negative thought sit in my brain all day long. You know, even if I get upset, it's like, all right, now you got one minute, feel the feeling, get upset throw a pillow, do whatever you need to do. But then after a minute, it's like move past it, find a solution. What are the next
1: steps? In your book, holding it right here. So if you're <laughs> watching this on YouTube, uh, you can see it here. Uh, in your book, you mentioned that the greatest tragedy mm. is wasted human potential. The greatest tragedy is wasted human potential. I agree with that 100%. Why is it that so much of our potential goes to waste?
0: Yeah, I'm going to take it back to confidence. It's It's really about confidence. So it's that question. How come some people are more successful than other people? Well, again, at the end of the day, at some point, your knowledge and your technique cap, right? But what makes you push beyond that? It's your ability to take action. I know so many people, and I'm sure you do too, James, that are super qualified. They have 10 million degrees, a ton of certifications, but they're still stuck. There's resistance when it comes to action, right? I mean, ask yourself, professionals that are climbing the career ladder, entrepreneurs, people that want to build their own business, so many people that want to do things, but they don't. It's not because they don't have the knowledge. It's not because the strategy's not there. Anybody can go on Google right now. There's a ton of books. You can figure out how to take action and do something, but why aren't we taking the action? it's that's the resistance that we need to find out and it typically comes from a lack of confidence self confidence or fear you know i know a lot of people say well you just just jump into it and do it you just have to motivate yourself or you're lazy but that's not actually it when people don't take action it's because there's something there that's resisting them to move forward and that's what we have to figure out and in most cases that resistance is a thought of what if i'm not good enough what if i fall short what if i fail what if someone makes fun of me? What if I don't do a good job? And those are the things that hinder us from taking action. You know, when I ask people, how come you didn't build your business that you wanted to build that you told me three years ago? Well, you know, I don't really have time. I'm like, yeah, what's the real reason? What's the real reason that you don't have it? Because you can always make time. Oh, what if I'm, well, what if I don't do well? You know, it always comes back to that confidence piece, that self-confidence factor. And that's what we have to break so that people can take more risk And really start to take more action.
1: And what I love about the work that you do is it's going back to the root cause of all those things, which enables that sustainable change rather than just trying to do something. Sustainable change. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I
0: call it macro versus micro confidence. And I talk about this in the the TED talk, and, and I actually talk about the greatest tragedies wasted human potential because we don't push ourselves forward, A, because we have blind spots, so we don't know what we don't know. And B, again, there's that fear that stops us from taking a step. Even though we know it can be such a powerful step in our life, we stop ourselves because of what if. And I always say that, you know, many of us live in the past or we live in the future. And when we do that, we have one one foot in the past, one foot in the future, we piss on the present. Mm -hmm. We, We sabotage the moment to really take action. And it really comes back down to the thoughts that we're feeding ourselves. I mean- When I first started building my business, I didn't know anything about business, nothing, zero. Didn't run a business, my degree wasn't in business, but I still took action because of that confidence that I had in the inside that said, you'll figure it out. Just, you'll figure it out. And if you really want it, it'll happen.
1: Mm. How does someone recognize how much potential they have and what can they do to unlock their full potential?
0: Yeah, the first thing that I would do is, you know this, is the who you surround yourself by is super, super important. Huge. I always talk about having a personal board of directors mm-hmm. or a council, five people that are in your life that you can trust that are gonna give you honest feedback. So the first thing that I would really recommend is first figure out your assessment of yourself. Is it accurate or is it not accurate? So there's a lot of people, for example, that think that they have really low confidence or that they're not great at what they do, but then you ask five people that know them well, And it's a complete opposite. So I think the first step is understanding what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses, not necessarily from your perception, but from five to seven people that you really trust because you're going to be surprised what they tell you. You, you, There's going to be things about yourself that you wouldn't have recognized, right? And so that's the first step is understanding how do other people view me? Of course, they have to be people that you trust. Otherwise it can go south really fast. So that's the first thing. And we do this with the leaders too that we work with is, an accurate self-assessment. We actually do a 24 point emotional intelligence assessment. They take it on themselves, on empathy, confidence, coaching, mentorship, motivation, all these different competencies, and then they pass it on. And you'd be surprised when they get the results back. They think, wow, I didn't know I was that great of a coach. I gave myself a four. I got tens across the board. And that's really the first step to understanding what are some of those hidden gems that you have that you might not be able to see.
1: Yeah, and everyone has their own truth, don't they? It yeah. seems to me that we can the more we have a thought that's left unsaid and it sits there and it simmers over and over again, that's when it we have this very, very strong truth internally that might be the complete opposite of mm-hmm. what someone actually feels yep. about who we are and what we do.
0: Yeah. And I would say the second thing is really having an honest conversation with yourself and then building that self-awareness. So if I were to ask anybody, write down what your ideal day is and what you want in your life and then what they're actually living, it's quite different mm-hmm. for many people. And so that's the really the first step is what do you want in your life or write it down? Why do you want it? And then how do we take steps to get there? And what are some of those little comfort zones that we have to break through in order to get you there? And I think that's really important. And that's where that self-awareness comes in is if I want to build a business, but I'm not, why? Right? Because building that business might be that extra push in your potential, right? Because you don't know how to do it. You've never been there, but why aren't I doing it? And that helps us push our potential.
1: Awareness, relationships, and feedback. I mean, you can do incredible things in the world with, with those three attributes. Yeah, yeah. The personal development industry is one that's morphed into different variants over the years. Is there anything the personal development industry as a whole should be doing to start creating more sustainable transformations for people?
0: I love this question. Strategy. It's all about strategy. Um and I think that's one of the reasons why we've resonated so well with our community and just with our team is that self-help we have to make it tangible. Mm-hmm. It can't just be wake up in the morning and be your best, like just be motivated because we know that that doesn't work. It doesn't work for the average person, but there really has to be strategies and clear steps and tools. I like to call it a toolbox that you can go into to really change the behaviors, to change the cognitive behaviors. And that's really going to be critical with self-help. So it's okay, great. We have this morning routine, one, two, three, and four that we do every morning, but then how do we stay accountable to that morning routine? So what are some strategies to stay accountable to take these actions? So for me, I really think of self-help and anytime we deliver self-help, I also deliver it in the same way I would a business strategy or a marketing strategy is what are the actual tools and tips that we can use to implement, to make a shift in confidence, to make a shift in emotional intelligence, to really move forward. That's how you build sustainability with
1: self-help. Yeah, just getting people motivated for, for one minute, I mean, it can get them very, very frustrated if they wake up, they have that motivation, and they're like, what? They get really down on themselves because they just don't have the right tools, as you mentioned, to be able to have that sustainable change. Yeah,
0: and I, I always do it in threes. Everything that I do, there's always an empowerment part to it because mm-hmm. there's got to be an emotional connection right? There's gotta be an educational part to it. People have to understand the knowledge and the process. And then there has to be a strategy or an action plan attached to it, Mm. right? So what what are we talking about and how does that connect with you on an emotional level? Here's the education around it so you understand it. Now, what are your next steps? So that in a week from now, the empowerment doesn't die down. Mm. Or in a week from now, you don't have all these notes, but you're like, what do I do with all these notes? Right? So it's really bridging them together and now having a plan that says, all right, here's my step one, my step two, and my step three.
1: There's something I wanted to share with you. So we've had two quotes from the show. So in episode 33, John Assaraf said, help the people who want the help, not the people who need the help. Mm-hmm. And in episode 51, Uriel came, echoed that, and he said something similar. He had said, often those who need help the most often want it the least. And that's been a hard thing for me to try and understand over the years when naively you think that you can go out there and help everyone. What I wanted to ask you is how do you manage people who need help, but you can tell through their lack of commitment that they're not willing to do the work. They're not willing to make the sacrifices to truly change. How do you, how do you manage that?
0: This is such a great point. And I say this often in a similar way that it's hard to change when you don't see the change that you need for yourself, right? Change is the hardest thing when you don't recognize that you need it. It's easy to say this person needs change and this person needs change and then we can't see that we also need it. And I always say you can't force anything and that's just, that's the truth. You can't force, but you can always provide resources and hope that one day they meet you halfway or everybody has their own process. And I think that's really important, especially in this industry with coaches and trainers as well, is that we also have to look with the lens of empathy. So whenever we have a client or we have, whenever we have somebody that wants to work with us, but they're not, they don't want to, right? We know that they need it, but they're like, ah, not right now. There's always an empathetic lens of, okay, they're, they're not ready yet. That journey isn't ready yet. And we see this with companies too. So we do a lot of work with corporations and we see team members that are like, oh, this is so amazing. We can't believe this is happening. And then we see team members that have resistance. Why do we have to do this training on EQ? Why do we have to do this training on confidence? And it's not because they don't like it. It's because they might not be ready to do that deep dive. And that's what we have to remember is everybody has a different journey and sometimes it might just be not not the right time to jump into that painful journey or maybe they're not ready to, to admit that there's some things that have to be shifted and we have to allow that process to happen.
1: Yeah, even, I think they're really good points. And also leading by example is something that clearly that you have done very well. If you're surrounded by people, not surrounded, obviously if there are one or two people in your network or in your circle of people who aren't willing to make that change, then rather than you falling down to their level, you can just continue to set that standard, which is that word that you mentioned earlier, to lead by example. And hopefully that they can, when they're ready, Maybe that's a way that you can give them empathy is just to lead by example. Then when they're ready, they can open up and and ask for that help.
0: Absolutely. When they're ready and always just continue to provide value, you know, Mm. even people that aren't ready, it's like when you're ready, let us know. But in the Mm. meantime, continue to grow yourself through these free resources or Mm. through these platforms, you know, and, and hopefully they come back. And most of the time they do and Mm. they say, you know what? I wasn't ready a year ago. I am now. Let's do it. Good for everyone. Yeah. Mm. Yeah.
1: You built your company with only $100 in your bank account. I absolutely love that. If you were dropped in a random city today with only $100 and a laptop, so we'll give you a laptop and a a good internet connection, and you didn't know anybody, how would you spend that $100 and, and what actions would you take to grow your business as quickly as possible?
0: Wow. How would I spend that $100? Honestly, I would probably spend it on croissants and coffee. (laughs) I was
1: going to say, I'd probably start with a good coffee. Yeah, (laughs) croissants (laughs) and
0: coffee. And cafes are the best places to to build Mm. relationships. That's probably where I would start. I would probably bounce around from cafe to cafe, connect with people, meet people. You know, I built my company with $100, but with thousands of relationships Mm. that I built. You know what I mean? I will never, ever forget when I first started building it. I didn't have a name in this industry And I didn't know anything about business. And I launched the podcast and I just sent these emails and I said, I'm new. I don't have any followers. No one's listened to the podcast. It's just launching. But I would love if you can just share your message and add value. 99% of the people that I'm, and they were big time people. Like I wasn't just picking anyone. They said, Yes. Mm -hmm they said, you know what? Yeah, we're going to support you. So I would probably spend that $100 again, being in coffee shops and maybe buying a croissant and a coffee for someone here and there and just building relationships.
1: <laughs> At Relationships, it's key. Yeah. Everything, right? Yeah. Like it really yeah. is. It absolutely is. Yeah, uh, You've been able to achieve so much personally and professionally, uh, but is there a particularly dark day that stands out for you on the life journey or the entrepreneurial journey that you're, that you're open to sharing with us today?
0: Yeah. I mean, the company came from it, you know? Mm -hmm. So when I was a performer and I got tired of performing, I came back and I was an an executive, as you mentioned earlier. And I was 27 years old when I was an executive. I had 200 people under me and I did that for, for many years. And then when I got a little bit older, about four years later, I decided to resign I resigned from the company. I sold my house on the lake. I had a brand new luxury car, boats, all the things that, you know, we think are success. I sold it all and I moved out of the country to get married. And after two weeks, my husband decided he wanted a divorce and I lost everything. So I went from a high functioning executive to a hundred dollars in my account and two luggage. That's all I had. And I remember coming back on the plane and I was just a shocked, embarrassed, crying, not really sure what just happened. All I knew is that I was going back to California and I didn't tell my mom, you know, because sometimes parents, they feel more pain for their child than their child feels for themselves. I'm sure you can probably connect with that. And when I came back, all, I didn't have anything. I had to start over, but I had to remember, again, going back to that confidence is, well, I still have my mind, still have my health. 10, 10 fingers, 10 toes. I still have my two brothers and my mom. I can do a lot with that. And I remember my father passed away a few years before that. And he came to me when I was coming back on the plane and I was crying and he said, everything you need is already inside of you. You just have to rise up for you. Huh? The company rise up for you. So when I came back to California two weeks later, I started building rise It for you. I was like, all right, I don't know what it is yet. All I know is that it's, I would just want to help make an impact. And I've already been doing it before that with performing and with you know as an executive, but I never I did it in my way. And so that's I started building the company. But what most people don't know, James, is that three months after building Rise Up For You, three months after coming back, three months after building the company, my mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer out of nowhere. And she passed away nine months later. So the first year of building Rise Up For You, I built in a hospital mm-hmm. and I was taking showers at the 24 hour fitness across the street because I didn't want to miss anything. And I literally would sit in the hospital with the laptop up all day and all night sitting next to my mom and just building the website, You know, interviewing people on the podcast, I would run to the car and you know just do it there. And that was obviously a really hard and difficult time, mm-hmm. but you can push through. If you have a bigger vision and you use your pain as fuel for growth and you understand that confidence in you, that everything you need is already inside of you, you will survive.
1: Yeah. Thank you, first of all, for, for sharing that. I know that's obviously been a very difficult journey. Mm-hmm. Did that phase in your life that you were going through, an enormous amount of, of discovery of, of who you were and, and your place yeah. in the world, did that give you an enormous amount of empathy for other people that you're able to wield today?
0: a ton of empathy. Cause I'll, I'll be honest with you. Empathy is something that is not uh, natural for me <laughs> coming from a middle Eastern family. My father's from a third world country. You know, I grew up with more of a mindset of just do it. What's the problem? Make it happen. Right. <laughs> what, why, why are we complaining? But that's, you know, not realistic. So v- really empathy was a huge component that, that built with me. But another thing is really understanding what success is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember when my mom passed, I'm the only girl in the family, the next day I was cleaning out her closet and all these Louis Vuitton bags, all this jewelry, all this clothes that was passed down to me. And it was that moment that I said, I'm 31 years old and I just lost my second parent. This means nothing to me. Mm -hmm. So what is success? What does it mean to build a life that you're proud of? And that was the biggest shift for me. And they say that sometimes when you have a breaking, there's an awakening. And that was the biggest thing for me: is what does success mean? Is success the cars, the house, the little, all, you know, all this stuff that we think that so many of us work towards, and then we get there and we're like, I still don't feel happy. I still don't feel fulfilled. So it's really understanding what success means on a whole level, a whole level. So career, self worth, relationships, your community. You know, building a, a lifestyle that you love, health and fitness, all of these areas. What does that mean? And I think that was really important. Mm. So I always ask that question: Is what does it mean to live a life that you're proud of, and are you taking steps every single day to live in alignment with that?
1: Unbelievably powerful stuff. Thank you very much for for sharing that. Uh, organizational culture is huge for you. Can you give us an example of what it looks like when a company gets it wrong from an organizational culture perspective? (laughs)
0: That's a big question. (laughs) Well, the first indicator is employee turnover. Mm -hmm. You know, when we work with companies that say we keep losing people, well, there's a reason why you're losing people. You know, there's a reason why employees are turning over at a fast rate. You know, we once worked with a company and they were losing people left and right. And I said, do me a favor, go to HR and ask them how much you spent on employee turnover. And they came back and they said, HR stopped counting years ago because it was in the millions. I'm like, well, that's the problem. There's the problem is that if you have that much employee turnover and it's costing you so much money, you got to get to the core of why they're leaving. That's the first indicator that a culture isn't working the way that it should be working. And it's actually costing companies a lot more money than they realize millions and millions of dollars every single year, and I would say the second thing is if they're not developing and mentoring their people, a lack of communication is the biggest thing. You know, we just we say just do. I tell and you do doesn't work that way anymore. There's got to be modeling. There's got to be well being. There's we really have to grow our employees. We're no longer in this time period where. The person comes in, they punch in, they clock in, they work, and then they leave. The reality is, is that the professional is the person and the person is the professional. So every day, whether you're a CEO or an entry-level position, the human being is coming to work and human beings have a ton of stuff that they're dealing with. Stress, kids, bills, medical things. I mean, all of these things come into the workplace. And as a company, if you're not acknowledging it or at least trying to support it, then you're really doing an injustice to the whole entire culture.
1: Yeah, so much to unpack there. There's a Robin Williams quote. Uh, Robin Williams quote I read recently, and it was talking about everyone that you see is fighting a battle that you know nothing, nothing about. about so yeah. be kind. It's a really powerful quote. Uh, what's an example of a company? Is there anyone that stands out of someone who's really nailed that organizational culture that that really gets it right today?
0: Yeah, um, I'm not going to say their name just Mm -hmm. for disclosure purposes, but they're a technology company that we absolutely adore that we work with. And what they've done, they they have actually infused it into their culture. It's a non-negotiable. So, for example, every single month they do an all-team training that has nothing to do with their technical skill. So it's emotional intelligence, confidence for the individual, you know, how to have conscious conversations, stress management, health, all things that just have to do for the own personal individual to make them better. And all the team, it's mandatory. They come like clockwork. Then they invest in their team with coaching. So then their individuals get one-to-one coaching. Then the executives also get consultation and coaching. So what they're doing, which is the most important that we don't see a lot is every single person in that company is getting developed. It's not just my leaders need coaching, or let's just start with the leadership team. It's no, every single person feels like they matter and they feel like they're being developed in a way that's beneficial not only to them, but also to the company. When companies only invest in training that's only beneficial to the bottom line, right, to that dollar, team members don't do well with that you know we have to also let them know hey we we care about sales but we also care about your mental health we also care about your well-being we also care about your confidence and they're really doing it right i mean every one of their employees is speaking the same language right they talk about eq they talk about confidence they're able to keep each other accountable they say hey let's try to be more empathetic like they're really they're adopting the language and the strategies
1: For many years, the prescribed definition of a company was to maximize profits for all its shareholders. How do we align individual interests with corporate interests? And is it possible that by focusing on people first, that you can actually increase profits well above what you did previously?
0: That's the key. Mm -hmm. And that's the motto of Rise Up For You is where people come first. Because when you pour into your people, your people pour into you. Mm -hmm. It's just like When you, when you're a teacher or I, you know, I was an educator for some time at nighttime. I was a professor when I was an executive, whenever I poured into a student and I was like, you can do this. What do you need? How do I help you? They wanted to work harder for me. Mm. They wanted to get the A and I didn't want them to do it for me, but they did because they saw that as a teacher, I cared. So they were like, you know what? I'm going to do my best in this class. And I had students all the time that said, you're the only teacher I do all my homework for. That I'm getting straight A's in. I'm like, well, why is that? Well, because you care and you give. And then that makes me want to give. It's the same thing in the corporate environment. When a leader pours into their team beyond just the numbers and the benchmarks, how are you doing? How can I support you? What do you need to grow? That employee is more susceptible to come to work, feeling motivated and excited that there's a growth journey for them, that there's people want growth. Whether they're in their own company or whether they're in a corporation, the reality is, is there's a lot of people that don't want to build their own company. I work with a lot of clients that are like, I have no interest in building a business. I want to work for somebody. I just want to work for somebody that's kind to me, that grows me. I don't want to feel stagnant. And that's really the key.
1: How does someone in a big corporation find meaning in their work? Obviously, the bigger the company, more bureaucracy, uh, less visibility, a lot of challenges like that. How does someone in a a massive company find meaning in their work? Or is it really up to the company to be able to to initiate things? Or is it at an individual level?
0: I think it's individual. Mm. And I talk about this a lot personal leadership. You don't need a title to be a leader. Mm. Every leadership title I've ever gotten was because I was a leader before I got the title. You know, when I became an executive, I wasn't, I didn't start as an executive. Mm -hmm. I walked into that corporation and I was just a normal team member, but I led like, I thought like a leader, you know, I walk into meetings and raise my hand and say, have we ever thought about this? What about this strategy? Two months later, I was promoted to an executive, Mm -hmm. two months, you know, and so it's not about the title. It's just about you making an impact and how can you make an impact? Every single person can make that impact. Even when they're in a big company, you just have to start by raising your hand and also by understanding your values. Values are really, really one of my values has always been just to contribute and add value. So even if i if I was a new team member, that was my value. So in a meeting, if I wanted to say something, I would raise my hand and say, can I ask you a question? Can we talk about this? And that, initially, it makes you a leader. It's all about the mindset.
1: Yeah, so true. Uh, from all the lessons that you've got on confidence and career and organizational culture, is there anything that's applicable or that can be transferable to success and happiness in the home?
0: All of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the biggest thing is that we sometimes live in a world where we separate ourselves, right? We're like, this is the workplace. This is my home life. But they're all the same. They're all connected. And I think that is really the key. That's what success is for me. It's building a lifestyle where everything is in alignment. Mm. What I do at work, I'm the same Netta when I'm at home. I live the same type of life. And I think that's really important. So the values that you have as an individual, you have to have those same values when you're in the workplace.
1: Yeah, you don't want to be at home and feeling like you're not adding value or, or also not feeling valued in the home. Yeah, a lot of those yeah. same principles, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. You've coached and mentored now uh, more than 50,000 people around the world, which is amazing. What's your process of helping your clients step into their best self and, and start getting some big wins in in business and life?
0: Clarity first. Mm. What do you want? I always ask these five questions. What do you want? Really specific, like specificity is key. So not, uh, I want to build a business. No. Give me more. What do you? What kind of business? What does it look like? What's your mission? So, what do you want? Why do you want it? Which is really important. Sometimes I have clients that have these huge goals that are awesome, but when I ask them why they want it, like, well, oh, I don't know. Like, well, that's not good enough, right? Otherwise, you won't stay in the game.
1: Yeah, you can't be emotionally charged. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: yeah. I always say that starting power is easy. Staying power is where it's at. It's easy to start, but staying is where it's at. So why do you want to do this? Because the why is going to get you to stay. Mm. Okay. Then I always ask, how are we going to get there? So what, why, how are we going to get there? Who do you need to help you get there? So that personal board that I was telling you about that council, and what do you need to say no thank you to in order to get there? Mm. So what do we need to remove out of our life? to help us stay on track and stay focused, that's where we start first.
1: Yeah, really great. I love that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did I read somewhere that you've worked with young people who have been in juvenile facilities for committing, in in some cases, some very serious crimes? Is that right?
0: Yeah, I've done a lot of volunteering um, in juvenile detention centers and working with, unfortunately, young men Mm. and women, 13 to about 19 years old, that have committed murder. Mm. Yeah, like really really harsh
1: crimes. How has your perspective changed? And, and the fact that you've leaned into that type of work, there's a community that I run that helps podcasters monetize their passion, all those types of things. And we actually did a session into a death row prison yeah. in North Carolina, which was something that beforehand I was like, I, I just wasn't sure how I felt about it because yeah. my thoughts had initially gone to the victims and families and that type of thing. And after going through that situation to deny the to deny these people the right to make the world a better place and, and help, under, and, and to really make sure that we don't deny them the right to make the world a better place was a limiting belief that I had before that session. Was there anything that you had learned, or how has your perspective changed since you started doing that work?
0: You know, for me, it's always been about humanity. Mm. And the one thing that I can really affirm to you is that people will rise to the occasion mm. when they're treated with kindness and like a human being. And that was the biggest thing. I mean, we would go in there and work with these kids and there was no hope and they would act really tough and be like, ah, you know, and, and try to scare you. But then the second I was like, how are you doing? And I just connected on a human level. You'd be surprised, like instantly, consciously, they would be completely different. And I cannot tell you how many times I've left a jail and a young man has stood up and said, thank you for treating us like human beings because we don't feel like animals right now. Mm. When we treat somebody that way, whether they're in a jail or not, they're going to continue to act that way. When you treat somebody with kindness and you, you show you know humane kindness to them, they're going to act like a kind human being back. There's going to be hope and they're going to see that there's more to their life and they're not just some animal that's caged up in jail. And I think that is such an important thing. And it really, I'm pretty resilient when it comes to working with people because of these experience, because I'm like, hell. If I can help a young kid that committed murder shift, then somebody that is living in a house with a job and a car and has A, B, C, and D, I can help them too.
1: It sounds like a lot of the work that you do comes from the the real leadership side of it is no matter how you're feeling about what you're owed, it's about making that decision first of all to be able to give. And that process of giving and providing meaning and providing value is what initiates that reciprocity. Is that, is that right?
0: Yeah, it's so true. And Mm. my mentors taught me that. My father taught me and my my mentors taught me that it's not about you. Mm. I remember when I was 18 and I walked into a performance hall and I was like, do my thing. And I remember they said, it's not about you. Mm. It's about the audience. And those words shifted my life forever. Mm. Anytime I walk into, whether it's a prison or whatever, it's, it's not about you, Netta. What do these people need? Mm. I don't care if they've committed murder or if they're a high-functioning executive. What do they need? It's not about me. Get out of my head. What do they need? And that is the best thing I've ever learned because naturally, because I lead that way, everything comes back. The universe reciprocates. You know, and people ask all the time, well, how do you, how'd you build and how'd you build this success? And you have this team. And I'm like, it's not about me. <laughs> I give out and then it comes back.
1: Yeah, I love that. It is so true. One of the great universal laws, isn't it? Uh, we are in an increasingly digital world. Things seem to be moving faster than ever. What are the top skills? To re- uh, what are the top skills required to succeed in today's world? And what is the role of, of soft skills in this new world we're in?
0: Yeah, I would say the number one skill above all is emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say that is because part of emotional intelligence is something called AI, which is adaptability intelligence. And you're right that technology is moving so fast, but the reality is, is that in five years from now, technology is going to look very different. Mm -hmm. And so the thing that's going to keep us moving forward is our ability to adapt, which is a soft skill. It's emotional intelligence. I know so many people right now that have amazing technical skill and they're like, oh my gosh, I have to go get this new certification because everything is changing and it's going to continue to change. So that's why I believe that the soft skills are more important than the technical skill, because when you have soft skills, you can learn the technical skill, right? You have that adaptability quotient or that adaptability intelligence to say, growth mindset. All right. I have to pivot. I have to make a shift. And that's really important.
1: What did you learn about yourself in the last two years? Was there anything that really surprised you about yourself just from what everything is, uh, what the world has gone through and experienced in the last two years?
0: <sighs> that's a great question. What have I learned about myself is that um, I'm an activator. And I think I always knew that but I guess I didn't know how fast I can work at making that happen. So when COVID hit, for example, we were doing everything in person, like so many people, and then everything shut down. And I think it was in a matter of two days where I said, all right, let's go online. I just remember staying up and creating all these programs and building all this digital stuff within a matter of a week. And then it just took off and it continued to to grow and launch. So I think that was one thing that shocked me is how fast I made the switch. Literally within a matter of a week everything was functioning online. Mm.
1: That adaptability, it's mm-hmm. uh it's key, isn't it? Uh, you've just congrats on your second Ted talk, which Thank is you. coming out very, very soon. Thank Amazing. You. How do you balance that hunger for future achievements with happiness in the present?
0: It's all connected for me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I really believe that we are put on this planet to elevate the human condition. And so everything that I do that's work, it's not really work for me. It's, it's part of my lifestyle And I really, really love it. And again, for me, there's not a number at the end of the outcome. You know, it's not, I'm gonna do this TikTok because I have to hit a million viewers. It's, this is a great opportunity to share a message and hopefully somebody can resonate with it and make an impact from it. I'm also like that at home. I'm like that with my brothers. I'm like that, you know, with my fiance. It's, It's all the same. You know, when I walk into a market, I try to be as kind as possible. And sometimes if I'm not, you know, I'll go back, I'm like, Sorry, like that That wasn't my best. And no one's watching me, there's no camera on me, you know? But I think for me, happiness is all connected and it's being free here and being free here. And no matter what you do, you're gonna have that happiness because of it, you know? And and also your values, What do, what do you want in your life? And I've always been really, really clear that I wanna live a life where I can explore. I wanna live a life where I can help people. And I want to live a life that's in alignment with me. And I do that every single day. And I don't, I don't steer off of that. You know, if somebody comes into my life and asks me to do something that's not in alignment, I say no, thank you.
1: Yeah. Having the courage to say no enables you to have the right energy and focus on the things that you really need to do.
0: Yeah. Even with corporations and clients, even when we have clients and corporations that aren't in alignment, if it doesn't feel right, say, you know what, I really wish you the best of luck, but we don't have the same values. And, we can't treat our employees the way that you are right now. So when you're ready to make that shift, come back.
1: All in running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Well, let's now move into the win the day rocket round where we ask you All 10 right, questions. There's a pretty fast <laughs> answer. This is where we get to know the real you. Number one, what quote inspires you the most?
0: There's a quote from Buddha. I, hope I Hopefully I don't butcher it, but says, if you truly loved yourself, you can never hurt another. And uh, that's such a powerful quote to me because I really believe that when you love yourself and you have that confidence, all you want to do is pour back and help other people.
1: Yeah, when you truly love yourself, you can never hurt another. Wow, Mm -hmm. that's very, very powerful. Uh, Number two, on a slightly uh, more casual note, uh, morning coffee or evening wine?
0: Coffee, (laughs) hot, espresso, (laughs) with (laughs)
1: broth. Number three, what's one bit of advice you would give your 18-year-old self?
0: More empathy. Not everyone had the same you know, childhood that I had and really understanding that everyone has their own journey.
1: Number yeah. four, what book do you gift the most?
0: Okay, hopefully this doesn't, you know, sound weird, but I gift my book a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I do I give a lot of my books for free because mm-hmm. I, I think it can really make an impact.
1: Is yeah. what what book on a sort of a a, a B Question here: What book ha- that you've read in the past has contributed most to the mindset you have today?
0: Eckhart Tolle, A New mm. Earth. That's the second book I get, I give the most. Mm.
1: Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, number five: Was there a vulnerability you once hid within that became your superpower?
0: I think it was the singing. Mm. You know, because I come from a background that it's not common that you go run on stage and you you sing and you dance. But I realized that that singing was really a tool for me to make an impact and empower. That's where I realized that, oh, this singing was actually a tool for me to connect with people, which led me to where I am today.
1: I'm going to be singing for the rest of the day. after right. It's been great. (laughs) Number six, what's one thing you've learned about failure?
0: It's inevitable. You have to have it in order to reach success. If there's no failure, you're not going to understand or appreciate success in the same way.
1: Number seven, if you could sit on a park bench and have a conversation with someone alive or dead, who would it be?
0: Honestly, it would be my parents, probably bring them back and just talk with them, catch them up on life.
1: (laughs) Number eight, what tool or resource best helps you run your life or business?
0: I would say books, you know, and that's such, that's a general statement, but I have a library of books and I love, it really grounds me. It gets me back to where I need to be. So I would just say that constant pouring of other people and their stories, that's a great resource for me.
1: Yeah, mentoring and coaching has been such a big one for you. And obviously it's a transformation that you deliver for so many people. Mm-hmm. Having access to literally the smartest and brightest people who ever lived through an infinite amount of books is incredible, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah They've a, been
0: my mentors. Yeah, me too. When I started building my business and I, you know, I only had $100, I couldn't get a coach or, at that moment. It's like, these are my mentors. I would read the books, mentor, 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 and It really helped.
1: Croissant, a cappuccino and Eckhart Tolle. Yep, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Number nine, share one thing on your bucket list.
0: Climbing Machu Picchu in Peru.
1: (laughs) So good. And number 10, what's one thing you do to win the day?
0: Every morning I have a success routine. I wake up, I enjoy a cup of coffee in silence. I don't do anything. Um, Then I write in my journal, gratitude for the day and my intention for the day. I sit in silence, meditate, and I exercise. And it really helps me jump into the day.
1: Amazing stuff. Well, there are a bunch of ways to connect with Netta and we we'll are linked to all of these in the show notes. You can follow her on Instagram at Natalina underscore Rise. Grab a copy of her new book, Rise Up For You, on Amazon and check out her TED Talk, People Versus Profits. Again, all of that and more will be linked in the show notes. Netta, thanks so much for coming Thank on the you show. Thanks for
0: having me. Thank you. <laughs>
1: Some seriously epic takeaways there. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And remember, it doesn't matter what you know. It matters what you do with what you know. So get out there, step into your brilliance and take some purposeful action. If you haven't already, make sure you hit subscribe so you can be first to hear about upcoming episodes. And little secret, we've got some really big episodes coming up soon that I know you're going to absolutely love. If you're enjoying the show, give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, or if you're watching this on YouTube, hit the like button. To finish, I wanted to reflect on that Ralph Waldo Emerson quote that we mentioned earlier, the only person you are destined to become is the person you decide to be. So choose wisely. And as Netta said, the world needs all of us at our best. That's all for this episode. Remember to get out there and win the day. Until next time, onwards and upwards always.